0: Hey, like I said, I guess I went off on a a tangent there for just a moment, but I was on a phone call last week with um, a bunch of other pastors and it was talking about the very thing that I just mentioned, how we're seeing the digital engagement begin to decline. But but man, what I love about that is that's just exposing the truth of God's word because the writer in Hebrews does tell us that. He warns us of that. Don't forsake the assembling of together being with others. But he even says that and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and for good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as if it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, I know that's not the same day we're going to talk about, but, but there is a day coming near Um, And I'm excited as our team begins to plan and gets together this week and starts thinking through what it's going to look like in the upcoming weeks as we get ready to be meeting here on campus again. I'm so excited um, to see you. I hope you're excited not necessarily to see me, but to see everybody else. Um, But we are getting ready to explore what that's going to look like. So I think it's going to be sooner than later. Um, So have hope and be excited about that. But but I'm excited this morning to, to dive back into to 1 Corinthians chapter six. Some people have been texting me this week and they said, is it gonna be seven or six? But we skipped last week because of Mother's Day, but I wish we could get the the honor of skipping chapter six, but we don't get that when we're preaching through a book of the Bible, so I can't, I didn't get lucky enough to, to skip over six and go on into seven, but we're gonna be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter six today. And I wanna start out by mentioning a quote that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, and, and you're gonna almost be embarrassed when I tell you this because this has been the advice that you have given to people before, myself included. I've given this advice numerous times, many different times. But that quote that we have used um, to give advice is this, it is easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Some of you are already hitting your spouse right now, and you're going, yep, I've used that. I used it yesterday. But how many times has somebody came to us and asked to do something, and we kind of turned a blind eye to it, and our reaction is, hey, look, don't ask me that, but it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I did some research and some digging on that quote, and it actually comes from a U.S. Navy admiral, and her name was Grace Hopper. And the reason that she kind of brought that that quote and it's been made so famous was, it's easier to go ahead and do something and then if it doesn't work out the way we planned, then we can ask for forgiveness of how it all goes wrong. Okay, so that's kind of the general idea behind that. But another reason, an element of truth behind that is one reason we're told not to ask for permission is because in most cases, we already know what the answer is going to be. We already know that that answer is not gonna be what we wanted to hear. And so ultimately, when we use this quote, when we use this phrase, we're ultimately getting ready to take advantage of someone who forgives. We're taking advantage of someone that we know will eventually forgive us. And honestly, that's kind of, in some regards, what what Paul is gonna be talking about where God has kind of led me um, this week in chapter six is you're seeing a group of people who are using an advantage of, or taking advantage of forgiveness. You know, up to this point, just to give you some back history, we've been talking in 1 Corinthians now for, for six or seven weeks, but this is a group of people who were originally living under Jewish law. So they were having to follow all of the rules. They were having to check all the boxes. They were having to do everything they could in order to make God love them. But what we've seen is now that they have this newfound faith in Christ, Paul's been sharing, many have been responding. They have been set free from the law, from the Jewish law. They're no longer bound by the law. So now they're trusting in Christ and they're knowing that their faith in Christ is now what pleases God. But many of them forget that. And many of them are, are, for lack of better words, just taking advantage. If you remember, the city of Corinth was a very, um, I guess you would say just a philosophical city. They came up with their own philosophies. They came up with their own rules and their kind of mindset. And, and in this case, one of those philosophies were the idea behind, well, it's your body. You just do what you want to with it. You're now free. We are no longer bound by Jewish law. So now it's honestly, it's just easier for us to ask for forgiveness than permission, and so what they were doing, they were abusing the idea of being free, and their philosophy was if your body craves it, then just feed it. If your body craves it, feed it. And so Paul is hearing about all of the sexual immorality and now he hears that this is their heart and their mindset of, 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 hey, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. We'll just do it. We no longer have to follow the rules. We are now free from the bondage of these laws. So, but but then Paul goes, no, 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 no. That's not it. That's not it. And then what he's going to begin to do in verses 9 I'm through, we're gonna go through verse 12, I believe it is today. But he's saying, No, you've missed it. You have forgotten the old versus the new. You have forgotten what all came with the newness in Christ. And so I want you to look with me this morning as he begins to remind them of that very thing. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 6, and we're gonna start in verse 9. Um, I'm going to kind of br- uh, break this verse apart just because of what it says. But in verse 9, Paul starts out and he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what we, I'm going to stop right there. And the, the key word in that, that verse alone is the word unrighteous. We reminded you several weeks ago, and we're going to do it again today, just to keep in mind that Paul is writing this letter to believers, people who have found their faith in Christ. They've been set free from the bondage of the Jewish law, and now they were, they're living under the authority of Christ. And so we see and understand that this letter is going to believers. But then he quickly turns it here, and he talks about unbelievers, He says, do you not realize that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And the reason he wants to remind them of that is this. He says, look, you are a righteous person now because of your faith in Christ, not because you've perfected everything, not because you've got everything put all together, but because you've given your life to Christ, you are now declared righteous. And we're gonna talk about that later on. But you have now stepped from being unrighteous to now you're being declared righteous in Christ. But the problem is, is you're acting the very same way unrighteous people do. You've got these believers who the world can't tell the difference in who their faith is in or it's not because some of the acts that they're participating in are the very same thing that non-believers do. And the problem is, is the world is hearing these new believers say one thing but they're living a totally different life. So now let's keep reading in verse nine. He kind of unpacks what he's talking about. He says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, neither fornicators or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effamant, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look, I know that when we begin to unpack lists like that, we can look at those lists, all of us, myself included, and we can relate to some of those very things that Paul is saying will keep them from inheriting the kingdom of God. Some of you probably just saw that list and you thought, man, I struggle with that one. Man, I dealt with that one yesterday. I'm I'm dealing with that one right now. So so Brian, if I struggle with those, if I deal with those, if I am tempted by those, does that mean that I fall into the category of of not inheriting the kingdom of God? Does that mean, Brian, that that I'm not saved? That's where we've gotta go back to verse nine. Because remember, he's addressing, he's talking, he says, look, all of this list is the acts of somebody who is unrighteous. And what he's wanting us to understand here is you're not considered unrighteous. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are considered righteous. And so what he's helping us to understand here is that there is a difference in being righteous and unrighteous. An unrighteous person willingly lives in all of the sins that was just listed. Willingly walks in these activities has a desire to walk and submits to them, and they are owned by all of these fleshly things that were just listed. But a righteous person, it doesn't mean that they won't ever fall back into this, but it just means that the new spirit of God living in us convicts us of those things and leads us away from these things. It's almost the same thing or or, or in comparison, it's, it's, I guess you would call it something as simple as falling into something, or jumping into something. Okay, I remember in high school, um, I lived on Cleveland Highway. You heard that a few weeks ago, talking about the guy burning his yard. But we were driving down Cleveland High one, one day, and I was, I think I was 17, 18-year-old. And I was um, cutting yards during the middle of the summer. I, I was in my forerunner runner and had my lawnmower trailer and all behind me. and was going to cut grass and was coming across the Cleveland Highway Bridge. And I remember seeing three young men, three young teenage boys running inside the rail on the bridge and I could tell they were obviously in their their bathing suits and and I knew what they were up to. But the closer I got to those guys, I realized that this was three of my best friends. Tim McGill was leading the way. And I remember watching Tim McGill approach the side of my vehicle on the side of that bridge. He was on the inside rail and he began to wave at me as he was coming towards my vehicle. And all in one motion, he never stopped to look over the side, he never stopped to look at anything, but he immediately was running at me and then just leaped over the side of that bridge. What you don't understand is that bridge was over 90-something feet high. And this dude willingly jumped over the edge of that bridge to land in the lake. However, if it would have been me, it would have been a much different story. The only way that I was going off of that bridge is if someone would have pushed me or if I was walking along the side of that bridge and I would have slipped. That's the only way this guy right here is going over a 90-foot bridge. But see, that's the difference. This guy made a conscious effort that he was willingly going to jump over the rail into that lake. Me, the only way I'm going into that lake is if I'm in a moment of weakness, if I'm not ready and somebody pushes me, or just in that moment that I let my guard down. You see, that's the difference in in, in the righteous and the unrighteous. A righteous person can still fall into temptation. In a moment of weakness, we don't have our guard up. We're not prepared. So the enemy tempts us with the very thing we know we struggle with. And just like that, we have fallen back into it. But however, it does not change the fact that you are still declared righteous before God. Because you see, it's not your works that declare you righteous, it's the works of Christ on the cross that declare you righteous. But now an unrighteous person doesn't live with the same convictions and and an unrighteous person is the one that leaps over the rail, willingly jumping into that lifestyle or that sin or that, that nastiness that is separating them from God. So you see, that's the difference in the righteous and the unrighteous is the same as falling and jumping into something. But what Paul wants to remind these believers, he says, look, that's not you anymore. You've been declared righteous through the blood of the cross of Christ. So you are righteous now. You are not willingly participating in all of these things. You're not taking advantage of the forgiveness of God. And you must realize that there's a difference now. And he begins to just remind them of who they are. And so this is kind of the, the, the pulse of today. This is the heartbeat of today is to simply from the scriptures, from the word of God, as a believer today, I want to remind you who you are Because I know that we've all been very vulnerable. I know that it seems like our normal life have been ripped out from under us the last eight, 10 weeks, ever how long it's been now. And there's no doubt that some of you have fallen back in to some of the very sin that you've struggled with your entire life. Maybe this isolation has, has, you've let your guard down. Maybe in this isolation, you have become weak again. Maybe in this isolation, maybe you have fallen so far back into sin that you feel defeated. Right where you're sitting this morning, you feel like a failure. You feel like you're trapped. Well, I've got good news for you today because this is the exact thing that Paul is going to address this morning. I want you to look with me in verse 11 as he begins to remind them. And this is what I wanna remind you of. I'm gonna start very, stop very abruptly here. Verse 11, such were some of you. Such were some of you. What he's meaning by that is before your faith in Christ, you willingly walked in all of those sins. You willingly participated in those sins, but you used to do those things. You used to be owned by those things. Those very things used to rule you but that's not you anymore. He said, you were ruled by these things. You were owned by these things. That is past tense. Whatever you're struggling with this morning, whatever sin you have fallen back into, hear me when I tell you this morning, that sin, that desire of your flesh, it no longer rules you. It no longer has authority over you because of what he says next in verse 11. He goes on to say, I gotta read the whole thing again because it just flows better. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. Paul says, look, that's not you anymore. You are now declared righteous through Christ and because of his righteousness and because of the finished work on the cross of Calvary, you have been washed, you have been sanctified and you have been justified. Church, that is the three words that all of our hope falls on. The word washed means simple that you've been made clean that you have been made clean, meaning all of those fleshly desires that once held you, those no longer have a hold on you. It doesn't mean that you won't feel tempted by them, but it does mean that the curse of death has been lifted as a result of those because now all of that has been given to Christ. All of that was given to him on the cross. So you've been washed You've been sanctified. When you look at the word sanctified, it means that you have been separated from those profane things, meaning that you have been pulled out. And once you've pulled, been pulled out, all of the nastiness, all of the filth, all of the sin has been left behind. But then he says, you have been justified. You have been justified, meaning that in the moment of your salvation, not only are you washed, not only are you sanctified and all that is left behind, but now you are being presented to God as righteous. You are being delivered to God. You are being declared worthy. You are being presented clean. And as I was looking at those three words, washed, sanctified, justified, I was reminded of kind of just a picture analogy here, if you would, of, of my two daughters, um, Deacon or Andy is one of my twins and she just turned 11 and, and Deacon, you've heard a lot of stories about her, she's four. Um, and yes, Deacon, I'm talking about you. They say every time I say her name on TV, she gets a little nervous. Um, but this picture was brought into my mind because Deacon is always into something. It doesn't matter what she's doing. She always comes in the house and she's usually filthy there's no telling what she's wearing. Her shoes are dirty. She's got mud on her face. She's got it all down her arms. She's just always a mess because she just loves being outside and she loves doing those things. But, but when you see that, that precious little girl, we know that, that before she can go to bed, before she can do anything else, she, she has to be made clean. And so Andy, her older sister, always kind of takes it upon herself um, to clean up Deacon. And so Andy will go in there and turn the bath on and, and she, the two of them will go into the bathroom and Andy will begin bathing Deacon and washing her down and, and cleaning her off. And, and so we see that this is the process as she's washing her. But then in the moment of washing her, once that is finished, once she is wiped clean, Andy sanctifies her, meaning that she pulls her, she removes her from the bathtub And it's kind of embarrassing a lot of times when you go back and look in the bathtub at what's been left behind, because yeah, there's usually that big old brown ring. There's usually all kind of nastiness that is just left behind, but that is exactly what the sanctified process or the sanctification looks like. So now Andy has washed her. Now Andy has sanctified her and removed her from the filth. But then what I love most is what I usually get to watch you'll watch Andy. She'll she'll pick up Deacon in her towel and she will walk her into the living room a lot of times where, where my wife Chelsea is sitting or, or standing or doing whatever she's doing. And some cases she's in the kitchen and she's fixing dinner. And all of a sudden, Andy will walk up um, with Deacon in her arms. She's been washed. She's been sanctified. But now what I get to watch is she justifies her. And what she does is she presents her to my wife clean and spotless. And then what I watch next is I don't know that it, there's any clearer picture of what salvation looks like. Because you see, the picture of salvation that I see is when my wife sees the finished work of what Andy has done. You see, what what my wife focuses on is, yes, she loves that Deacon is clean, but what she focuses on is she focuses on the finished work of my older daughter, Andy. She focuses on that, but she celebrates it with Deacon. And then she picks Deacon up and she holds her close in her arms and she begins to kiss her. And all moms are kind of weird because y'all like to smell babies. And so then she just starts smelling all over. And she said, you smell so good. But you see, that's exactly what happens is when we find our faith in Christ, when we surrender our heart and our life to Jesus Christ, he washes us. He he, he bathes us in his righteousness, in his royalty. And then he sanctifies us. He leaves all of the nastiness behind, but then the justification process happens. And then he presents us to the father as the spotless lamb, the very same way that he was presented. And we get to reap the benefits of the finished work of what Christ did for us. This is the picture of salvation. So as a believer this morning, I don't know how deep back you've fallen into your sin, but be reminded today that you are washed, you have been sanctified and you have been justified not because you've perfected something, not because you stopped doing this, not because you stopped doing that, but the reason that we are washed, sanctified and justified is because Christ was crucified on the cross for you and for me. It's that simple. It's that simple. But when we realize something of that magnitude, it should stir a response in us. It should stir a response in, inside of us where we get to a place where we see that love we see all of the benefits and we say you know what that's something worth selling out to and it creates a response in our hearts because it gets us to a place we realize that we were hopeless and we were helpless until this we had no hope because we couldn't follow all the rules we couldn't follow all the laws but Christ took on our sin and was crucified for us. And in that response, we should be willing to lay down our life and give it to him because he laid down his life for us. And so what I want you to hear this morning is you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified, but it came at a cost. It cost Christ his life. It cost Christ his life. And because he gave his, so we too should give ours back to him. And that's what Paul says in verse 20. Look at the very last verse in chapter six. He says, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. So see, your body is not your own. Your body is his because he paid a price for it and the question is, is he getting what he paid for? Because in verse 13, I love what Paul says. He says, in so many words, your body was created not for sin, but your body was created for him. Your body was created for him. And so now we go back to that, that not, not verse, but we go back to that old famous quote. It's easier to ask for forgiveness Than it is permission. You see, if we fully surrender our heart and our life to Jesus Christ, that quote, that excuse now is deemed irrelevant. Because that quote is, is built around somebody who is enslaved to their desires somebody who is enslaved to the very things that they want to fulfill, the very things that they want to do. And so instead of asking for permission, we think, okay, it's just easier to ask for forgiveness. But the problem with that is that this quote, if this, if this saying, if this advice is something that we often use, it is proof that we are being ruled by the wrong thing. We are being ruled by our flesh. We're being owned by our flesh. And so I was looking at that famous quote and I kind of got playing with it and got looking at it. And as a follower of Christ, what if the quote sounded something a little more like this? It is better to ask for permission because I am forgiven. It is better to ask permission because I am forgiven. Because remember, the very reason that we we don't wanna ask for permission is because we really already know what the answer is. You see, in the moment of your salvation, the Spirit of God came and took up a dwelling place in your heart. Now that new spirit that lives in you, that new nature, it doesn't align with the nature of this world. It doesn't align with your old nature. And so that's when the war begins. That's when the friction begins. And so now as a follower of Christ, if we will acknowledge what we're being tempted to do and ask for permission, God, is this something that I need to be participating in? We already know the answer because God is never gonna let you do something or want you to do something or give you permission to do something that's going to harm you or even rob him of his glory. And so what if that question sounded or that statement sounded something more? It's better to ask permission because I am forgiven. You see, that is the life that we should be living if we will comprehend and grasp onto the idea that as a follower of Christ, I have been washed, I have been sanctified, I have been justified. And not only have been we've been washed and sanctified and justified, but we're also now a possession of the almighty God. We've been bought with a price. We are now living under his authority. He is now our Lord. He has all authority. He has all influence over us. He is our master. He is our ruler. Our flesh is no longer our master. We're not ruled by our flesh anymore. And that's exactly what he says in the last verse that we're gonna share this morning is verse 12. Paul says, and this is a verse that a lot of you are pretty familiar with, but he says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, meaning that I can do whatever I wanna do, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. And you see, that's exactly what Paul is talking about is he's saying, look, I am no longer gonna let my flesh rule my life. Although I can make a conscious effort to do it, I can make a conscious effort to participate in it, but because of my newfound faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I realize that I am washed, I am sanctified, I am justified, and that is the only thing that deserves being ruled by. And so maybe you're here this morning and and you're that believer who has fallen back in to some of the very sin that God has delivered you from. Let me encourage you by this this morning. Paul said that you were washed, you were sanctified and you were justified. Just because you have fallen back into sin doesn't change that. It doesn't change that. And the fact that you're hearing this word this morning and you're feeling convicted this morning, I want you to celebrate that because that is the fruits of the Spirit of God living in you and teaching you and guiding you. So be reminded that you're washed and sanctified and justified today. But now this morning, if you're listening and you're not a believer, you're thinking, man, there's no way there's no way that God could wash me. There's no way that God could sanctify me. There's no way that God could justify me. I would ask you to try him. I would ask you to call on the name of the Lord because the Bible says that if you do that, he says you will. Be saved, meaning you will be washed, you will be sanctified, you will be justified. So this morning, if the spirit of God is not letting you settle well, because you know that you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, call on his name this morning. Call on his name this morning. But as we get ready to sing this last song, believers, you need to be reminded today that you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to the very sins that used to rule you, that used to own you. Because of your faith in Christ, you have been washed, you have been sanctified, and you have been justified. God, we thank you for that promise today. God, I pray that maybe there's believers today that feel hopeless again. They've fallen right back into some of the very same sin that they've dealt with for years. God, remind them of their salvation today. Remind them that this sin has not taken that salvation away, but use today as a catapult to remind them so they will surrender their bodies to you because you created their bodies, not for sin, but for you. But God, if there's a non-believer here today, somebody who's never surrendered their heart and their life to you, God, I pray that today they would realize that that washing, that sanctification and that justification, it is for them as well. Humble their hearts today. And God, let us worship today that we're no longer slaves. And we thank you for that in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.